Red Apple Media Podcast Network presents This is Protecting America. Now, here's Emmy-winning journalist Rita Cosby. I'm Rita Cosby, and welcome to another episode of Protecting America. With the 4th of July holiday, we are discussing the importance of service to our nation and to the world, especially as all eyes remain on Ukraine. Our guest today knows the battle environment there very well. Retired Lieutenant Colonel Darren Gobb is an Army veteran, also a Black Hawk helicopter pilot and commander. And he's also the co-founder and executive director of Restore Liberty. Lieutenant Colonel Darren Gobb, so great to have you with us today. Hey, thanks, Rita. It's certainly my pleasure and honor to be here with you. So much to talk with you about. Let's first go to Ukraine. You know the situation there well. You did a lot of training with particularly hybrid warfare, that same environment. Kind of explain that and explain your assessment of where we are right now in terms of protecting Ukraine and where you think Russia is headed in Ukraine. Yeah, great question, Rita. I know that comes up a lot with what is this hybrid warfare thing and and the easy way to describe it is what everybody sees in combat is, you know, infantrymen fighting, tanks fighting, aircraft fighting, and artillery. And that is the vision that most people have, and rightfully so, because that's what history has shown us. The hybrid warfare picture starts coming into play when we start talking about you know, space and cyber and, in some cases, you know, drones. It brings in a lot of the electronics. It brings in a lot of the different domains, which, is, which space is a domain as well as certain aspects of economics and those things that are what you what we would call elements of national power, all coming into conflict at the same time. In many of the cases, it's being modernized. So one example is while Russia is occupying the eastern and southern region right now of Ukraine, they're also getting the people who live there to and forcing them to open up bank accounts in Russia. So what you're seeing is they're almost like they're just going to squat on the land hold it and turn it into Russia by default through a lot of other means than just military direct conflict. And that's what hybrid means. And, and that kind of gets at what I think you're asking about the situation on the ground is the summary is Russia wants to own the east and the south, cut off Ukraine from the Black Sea, gain a warm water port, gain areas that are Russian sympathetic, expand, uh, for lack of a better term, their kingdom and minimize Ukraine and in some ways punish them as well. Do you believe, Colonel Gobb, that it's going to expand beyond those regions? Because, of course, all of Ukraine often is being targeted by the Russians. In fact, we just recently saw they struck at a mall more in the western part of the country. They're headed near Lviv, we've seen a number of times, that training facility. They clearly seem to be sending a message, and they're not happy that now with Finland and Sweden joining NATO. Oh, absolutely. And there's always the potential for something like this to expand. Now, back in August of last year, when my co-founder and I with Restore Liberty saw what happened in Afghanistan, we, we automatically said that Ukraine was next. And then it turned really into Russia looking to take over the entire country, not just part. And they're not being successful in the way that they would like to be, clearly. But Russia, one of their tactics is to just to punish and exhaust people, civilians and military, regardless of whether they plan on occupying the land. So they, I'm sure they've settled on the fact they're not going to get as far west as Lviv or even Kiev. But that doesn't mean they're not going to punish them and try to keep reinforcements and weapons that are moving through Europe and Poland into Ukraine from the West. 
That's just a technique to do that. And that's just within Ukraine. Could it expand beyond Ukraine? If, and I would argue that in many domains, like the cyberspace and other things, it already has. But we've always been concerned that if Russia was really successful in Ukraine, that their eyes would move over to Moldova, to the Baltic states, where I spent quite a bit of time, and continue to expand the Russian kingdom. And that's been the part of the mind of Putin for a while. How much of a chance do you think there is that they could do that? Because you brought up Moldova, you brought up Poland. How much do you think that he can continue on? At this point, I find it highly unlikely in the immediate or near future because they did not have the success they thought they'd have in Ukraine. Now, I've been arguing for 15 years or more that the Russian army is, in many cases, not as threatening as we make it out to be. If you take away nuclear, cyber, and space, they're really a standard post-Soviet era military with the challenges of logistics and training that all the former Soviet satellite states have as well, and they weren't near as effective as they were painted out to be. However, that doesn't make them not dangerous. That is for sure. But I think at this point, with the support that's going into Ukraine and the fight that Ukraine has put up, I'd say that Russia, in many cases, satisfied with the east and southern and try to force a settlement somewhere in there. And given the way Russia thinks, I would not be surprised if they had on that for a long time and still had aspirations of expanding beyond that someday in the future, which is how they've operated for uh, all decade now. You know, that's an interesting point. So sort of like complete this phase, if you will, put it on hold, and then who knows when they'll get back to it. You know, Colonel Gobb, one of the things, too, we heard from President Zelensky of Ukraine basically saying, let's try to get this over. I mean, his idea of over is obviously kicking out Russia entirely and not giving up any of his land. But he's basically saying, let's try to get this over before winter, because that makes fighting a lot tougher for both sides. It does in some regards. And in other ways, it can help. When it comes to the condition of the ground, the ability to move tanks and large equipment across it, frozen ground helps a lot more than what they've got, especially in the, in the wetter spring periods. But you can hardly blame him for saying that, regardless of what he ultimately means as far as getting it over. I've predicted in some ways from the beginning of this with what was happening that I, I thought this would culminate, as I describe it, sometime between June and first part of September. We'll see if that happens. I could be wrong. But what you're seeing in the news and what you're seeing on the ground is sort of a bit of a stalemate. And Russia's just kind of squatting on the land they own in hopes that they can essentially own it just by being there. Why did you think between June and September? What made you say that? The capabilities of the Russian army, both logistically and tactically, combined with the massive loss of leadership they've been suffering over time. Now, if I'm wrong, I'll be the first person to stand in line and say, yeah, yeah, I was wrong. But I just, I was countering what I saw in the news with some of our senior military leaders talking about how this particular conflict could go on for years. And I did not find that to be realistic at all when they were already, you know, both sides of this conflict were in, in many cases exhausting themselves, both logistically and just their ability to withstand the physical punishment of what it means to be in combat for a long period of time. Do you still stand by that timetable? I do, but I don't know what that looks like yet as far as being done. Is being done mean, does that mean that Russia is occupying that land and ultimately Zelensky gives up and says, I'm willing to cede that land to Russia, just don't go any further? That's possible. Does done mean that somehow the Ukraine army turns everything around and pushes Russia out? That's possible too. So what does done mean? 
it's kind of a cheap way to get out of an answer, but I would say that I don't know yet for sure. There's just a lot of options and possibilities. Yeah, there sure are. What do you think is done is going to look like? Is there a sense as we're headed now close to that timetable? We're in it right now. Yeah, it seems to me that if Zelensky and the Ukraine military actually get that exhausted, that they could be willing to cede portions of the east and south, but I don't know that they'd be willing to give it all. The hard part is, are they willing to give up 17% of their economic output in those regions and any kind of port activity? And then you combine that with, would they be willing to, much less, would they be able to take it back in the first place? I'm going to stick with that timetable, and we'll see what happens. And I'd be more than happy to come on the show and, you know, beginning of part of September and say, you know what, I was wrong. Here's why, and let's see what happens next. Well, we will see, too. And listen, it would be good, obviously, if there was peace in the region. But obviously, both sides have to agree to it. And certainly, Ukraine has to agree to it, too, first and foremost. Let me ask you about President Biden's leadership. How do you think it's been throughout? I keep thinking about the very beginning of this, where he basically gave a green light and said, oh, if there's a minor incursion, well, then maybe we won't do anything. And it seems that he has been very much reactive and not proactive whatsoever in this. Now, Rita, you know, I have not seen a leadership success yet that I can truly point to. Uh, I think any success that NATO has had supporting Ukraine, which is not part of NATO, is more a function of what's going on in Europe than what's going on in America. And I deal every day with military veterans who've been forced vaccinated or punished for a lot of different things. And I guess the best indicator that I would point to today is the recruiting issues they've had in all the services, falling short of their goals and people not joining up to serve this nation and the military the way that you know our Department of Defense would hope they would. But when you see that combined with how the soldiers are being treated, meaning they're spending most of their time training on anti-racism and, and these kinds of things versus training to fight and win our nation's wars in conflict that actually preserves our liberties. That's a great example of leadership when your most important duty is to be the commander-in-chief of the military. And in that regard, he's failing abjectly, and it's costing us our readiness, and I don't know how much it could cost us, but it's concerning to say the least. Do you believe there's been way too much focus on sort of this woke agenda, if you will, versus, just as you said, making sure that they're prepared to fight? Absolutely do. And some of the indicators I'm seeing and talking to people in different services and different levels of the command, whether you know battalion, brigades, divisions, whatever, all of them are saying the same thing, that the morale is so low because they're not doing what they signed up to do in the military. And even if that's just training in domestically at, at our training centers across the U.S. or, foreign, or in foreign locations and, and not actually in conflict, which we really don't want anyways, that's at least training to do what you're supposed to be prepared to do. But what they're training to do is fulfill this woke agenda that is permeating our military. And I work with a lot of organizations on that topic. And it's quite clear from our service academies down to basic training and our commissioning sources through normal colleges and other things like that. It's permeated throughout like a cancer, and it's going to be really hard to cut it out. Why do you believe that is happening so much? That is a harder question about what is your true motivation if what everything you're doing is destructive to what that organization's mission is? What are you trying to achieve? I can't help but be slightly cynical to the point where I think some people are either bought out or beholden to an agenda because someone has something over top of them. They know things about their family. You know, who knows what that may be? 
but it is certainly detrimental to our readiness to handle anything around the world right now. And that's not a critique of the soldiers and the people who are doing the extremely hard work to do their best. It's a critique of the leadership that has got them solely focused on the wrong things. And do you believe it's become an enormous distraction where it is affecting the front lines? I know it is. I know it is because I talk to these guys all the time. For example, I've got one warrant officer in the Army who used to work for me who the Army has spent the last year destroying his career and his family and making him spend all his money and probably making him lose his retirement for a whole lot of reasons. And nothing has anything to do with his behavior, the readiness of the military in general. In fact, because the word vaccine came up, it didn't really matter what the truth was. They were going after him. And this is happening all across these services with people getting kicked out of the military, with being people being railroaded out of the military. They Sometimes they're just kicked out and it, they're cut loose in general. Sometimes they lose their retirement. Sometimes they're spending 40 grand on legal fees in order to try to keep their chain of command at bay from coming after them and ruining everything they've worked for. And these are people who sometimes have worked for me and I know they're phenomenal soldiers. That's going to have an effect because it's not just them. Everybody else sees it. Absolutely. What do you say to these men and women who obviously want to serve our country? They got in because they believed in the military. They believe, of course, in our country and our values. And then they're finding themselves consumed with all this other stuff. What do you say to them? It's a tough thing, really, because the truly honest party says, right now I'd have a hard time serving in the same way that I'd have a hard time putting my kids in the public education systems in a large part of this country. And like, you know, there's just some things you don't want to be part of and you want to figure out an alternate means. I don't tell them not to do it. Certainly, I, I encourage service in any way people can. But you've got to be honest with them and say, right now, you're going to have a hard time doing your actual job. And that's going to be difficult at best. So I kind of weigh it out to them and say, here's your pros, here's your cons. And try to at least walk them into a decision that they've made themselves, but is fully educated on what's going on. Thank you very much, Colonel Grubb, because it is important to say that message to them, too, and still want people to want to serve. Let's talk about the importance, of course, of giving back to America and especially getting involved in our military service, because it is such a critical thing. And I think it also, first of all, it instills great values to those who are doing it overall, as, uh, despite all the bumps and the hurdles that we just talked about, how important do you believe service is to America right now? I think it's extremely important, and it's more than just the military, of course, that service can come in a number of ways. But I think it's yeah, critical that we remember that America is still the beacon of hope, that shining city upon a hill. There's a lot of things that draw people to America today that we as Americans should fight for and be the example to those who would want to come here legally. And we need to remember that as we go into and celebrate this July 4th weekend and say Independence Day of 2022 is an event and it's one day. But will it be here Independence Day 2023? Well, that's what service guarantees and service is honorable. And we need to keep being that beacon of hope. There are so many of us out there who are fighting for freedom overseas and here that we need to keep doing that. And service takes a lot of different forms. And we need to find each of us where we serve best and do it. Our country needs us now more than any other time. I can promise you the veteran community specifically is there through the STARS organization, through Veterans for America First, through Restore Liberty with my organization. We're doing everything we can, and we're not going to stop. How important is the role of America being that beacon and being the leadership? Because 
you're right. There are still so many countries around the world. Ukraine is one example, but many other places, too, where America and American leadership is key. The best example I can give you is some emails I've received uh, into our Restore Liberty site, which are people from places like Brazil, like Ukraine, other places in Eastern Europe and other places I've served, where those people quite clearly tell us, we are watching you in America, and if you fail there, the world fails. So no matter what, we have to maintain the focus on service, the focus on fighting for freedom and liberty in order for us to be that beacon of hope. There are so many people in America who want to be that beacon of hope and fight for this nation, and we've got to make sure that we do so. It's important. Like your podcast says, you know, we've got to be there to protect America from those who would seek to destroy us. Before I let you go, Colonel Gobb, you spent 28 years in the military service. What did it mean to you personally as you look back at your great military career? Well, for me, it meant I can't quit. I've invested way too much. Many thousands and millions of people over the years have invested way too much in this country for freedom and liberty. And though I could have put up my boots and stopped serving this nation, I put them back on along with many other veterans and people around the country and said, we've had enough. It is time for us to come together and do what we do best, which is protect freedom and liberty once again inside our own borders. Absolutely. And that is, I know, what Restore Liberty does and so many of these great organizations that you work with. Tell us real quick before I let you go about Restore Liberty, because you're executive director and also one of the co-founders there. Yeah, we are veteran-founded, but not veteran-pure. Lots of good citizens, but ultimately, we fight to magnify the Ninth and Tenth Amendments of the uh, U.S. Constitution to reinforce that contract, to limit federal government back to its intended scope and powers, and get we the people involved in a greater number through coalition building of like-minded organizations so we can have what we like to call a great we set where our government gets back its role and function as designed and not doing what it is right now. And I use the term also that we cannot be the Atlas who just shrugged. We the people are way too many and we've got to take this nation back from those who would destroy us as well. Well, thank you for your great message. I love the great we set, that's perfect. And thanks for all you do at Restore Liberty and your great service to this country. Thank you for being here on this podcast, Lieutenant Colonel Darren Gobb. Thank you, Rita. It was a pleasure to be here. And everybody, I'll be back soon with another great edition of Protecting America. And of course, you can catch me every weeknight, 10 p.m. to midnight on the legendary WABC Radio. This is Rita Cosby, and thanks for all you do to protect America.